Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. As you dig deeper and deeper into the way that the coffee is farmed and the way that it's processed and the way that it's roasted, you start seeing distinctions that actually matter. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health-conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at LessStressNutrition.com. Now, on to the show. Okay, today on The Less Stressed Life, we have Andrew Salisbury, who I met this fall, and he's an interesting guy, especially as I get to the end of this bio. So he's the founder of over 14 companies in the last 25 years in six countries, including Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Ireland, and the US. And we are going to be charmed by his lovely British accent today. His latest investment, which is Purity Coffee, is a project of passion. And he says that there is a big disconnect from what scientists have known over the five years of health benefits of coffee in the general public. So we're going to talk all about kind of his personal story and how he got into the coffee world and just the intricacy. I think sometimes people use a lot of coffee, but we don't talk about what's going on on the background of coffee. So that'll be fun. So he believes that drinking healthier coffee is one of the easiest things you can do to improve your wellness, performance, and longevity. So aside from his passions related to coffee and health and entrepreneurship, he enjoys traveling with his wife and daughter. And I think think it's cute that longevity is the quest now, because when I got his bio, it came with a video of Andrew setting a Guinness uh, world record for longest bungee jump in his youth. So fun, interesting guy. Maybe you can tell us about what led to the bungee jump, Andrew. (laughs) Yeah, the sign of a misspent youth, I think, but it was a lot of fun. (laughs) Um, One of the businesses I started, I started a second commercial bungee jumping company in the U.S. And so uh, jumping people from hot air balloons in San Francisco and bridges and tower cranes until ultimately I set up a business in Mexico and then went from there. And uh, it's a long story, but (laughs) I did the world record for the longest bungee jump, you know, out of a helicopter in Cancun, which was fun. Fun, fun, fun. Very cool. My daughter and husband did heli skiing last year, and we've never, we're, our family's not bungee jumpers, but my husband and I met in skydiving. Well, this isn't exactly how we met, but we were both in skydiving club in college. So I at least at one time had a little bit of a thrill seeker, but I don't know if quite as much as you. <laughs> I love to skydive. It's, it's a real sport. It really mm. is. 
Yeah. Oh, fun. So let's talk a little bit about coffee, which is something we're probably both drinking and possibly all the listeners have been drinking today. And some people don't like coffee, which is fine and wonderful, too. But it gets used a lot and we don't necessarily talk about it. I mean, it hits headlines much like wine and chocolate do, like coffee is really healthy or maybe it's not healthy. Let's talk about when did coffee really become this daily thing? And you're a world traveler, so maybe you can tell us what you see for coffee around the world, kind of culturally as well. But what do you think about coffee becoming this daily consumption? And let's talk about the pros and cons for health. Yeah, and I think it's going through a very good trend and very similar to the way wine was first introduced, where, you know, it's, it's a very basic quality of wine, red wine, white wine. And then, you know, as time goes on, people start recognizing different distinctions. So they pick the country and then from there, they'll pick a region. And then as people get, you know, more educated about uh, about wine, then they start saying, I, I'd like this farm and this terroir and it needs to be this facing hill. And I think coffee is going through a similar evolution, which is that, that people are recognizing that not all coffee is created equal, even if you use taste as your only yardstick. Um, when it comes to health, that's even more so, which is that, you know, when it comes to the differences in really high quality coffee for health versus just regular coffee as an injection system for caffeine, there's just a huge range. And like most foods, you can, you know, as you dig deeper and deeper into the way that the coffee is farmed and the way that it's processed and the way that is roasted, you start seeing distinctions that actually matter. So I think the trend is very positive. Yeah. So I think what may give us the proper landscape of why you got into this business is to talk about how it affected your personal life. Your wife, Amber, had some health issues and you decided coffee was a piece of it. Will you tell us that story? Yeah, it was around uh, around five years ago when my wife was having some health issues and we really couldn't put a finger on exactly what it was, low energy. And she was you know, d doing what a lot of us do, which is sort of self-medicating with coffee when we're a little bit tired. And so she was drinking just a lot of coffee, K-cup coffee, so really not the best quality coffee. But as a tea drinker back then, I had more than one argument trying to get her to slow down on the amount of coffee because I honestly felt at the time that she was putting one foot on the accelerator, one foot on the brake at the same time, and she was just sort of overtaxing her body. And it sort of led me down this path of, uh, truthfully, probably to win an argument, but uh, led me down this path of uh, researching the health benefits of coffee, really fully expecting to hear what, what I'd heard sort of in the periphery, which is that, you know, cut down on the amount of coffee, too much caffeine isn't good for you. And what I heard was the complete reverse. I, um, I met two professors at the Institute of Coffee studies in Vanderbilt. And, you know, they just gave me the shopping list of health benefits that are linked to uh, to coffee consumption and, uh, and all of the science behind it. And that sort of set me down the path of uh, trying to understand coffee more and understand if, um, if we could make every decision based on health, would we come up with anything that was different and measurably different? And that's sort of, you know, that was the impetus to start researching this. Yeah, you're a curious guy. So I have to know, through your work and efforts, did you ultimately discern that that was part of her health story? 
I think ultimately we think that mold toxicity was probably the thing that was going on with her. So we did lots of things. We did, you know, the big expensive things like remediating the house and and also changing the foods that she would eat that that would likely to have some sort of uh, mold toxicity and moving away from GMO and only getting organic. And all I can say is that combination of all the things we did, one of those things worked. But I can say, you know, we switched the coffee and that was the one, you know, the, the silver bullet that fixed everything. But I can say that in hindsight, it's one thing that I think that people should concentrate on if they have a sensitivity to either mold or toxicity or they have a sensitivity to regular coffee. It's a small adjustment relatively to pay attention to the quality of your coffee. So while I can't say it was the the silver bullet, I can say it was a factor. Well, I can tell you that clinically... In practice, I see coffee become an issue for some people in a few ways. So sometimes we're drinking so much of it that when we come off, we have like these major caffeine things, but more specifically in the context of what our conversation is today. I've had people, I love when they decide this because I had made this discovery along quite a while ago about myself and it's alarming. I remember this client saying to me, Hey, I feel fine when I drink this kind of coffee. And if I drink this like crappy gas station coffee, I totally feel like garbage. And I'm like, I couldn't agree more. I used to think I was really sensitive to caffeine or coffee. Turns out I actually don't even have that gene. That particular coffee sensitivity gene is not really an issue for me. It was really more about the quality of coffee. So I actually am a bit passionate about your topic as well, because I realized that as I was drinking coffee, that was, I would get like annoying, like crazy hyped up, like revved me to, to this, like a high and a low and I'd crash. But if I was drinking organic or what was labeled fair trade, so I want to talk about all the labeling requirements around coffee, which you're probably well versed in now. <laughs> if I was drinking something labeled like that, I was fine. It was very good. So let's talk about coffee labeling requirements and what do all these things mean exactly? And what it is it like, are these things that it's scouts honor people put on the bag or are there standards, you know, in the industry for getting certain labels other than organic? Like, tell us all about labels. Yeah. I mean, one of the big challenges we have is that there's lots of different things that impact coffee when it comes to the health benefits of coffee. And not all of them are going to be covered by labeling. They just need to be covered by best practices. But what happens in terms of labeling of coffee is that it's a very lax standard. So let me give you some of the ideas of things that matter and that should be covered by labeling. So, you know, the first thing that really matters is your coffee needs to be organic. It's the most heavily treated crop on the planet. You know, it's uh, it's often treated in countries that don't have the same level of oversight that you do in the US. So things like glyphosate and just really poor quality pesticides are used on coffee because the yields are higher. So, you know, when you've aligned financial interest to putting pesticides on coffee, you've got a lot of people who are going to cut corners because their yields are better. So you can get around that in a little way, or you can make sure that your labeling is certified USDA organic. But often, what happens is what the labeling doesn't cover is that there's often pesticide runoff where local farms are using pesticides. And even if that particular farm isn't using pesticides, then you're going to have an impact of uh, pesticide residue on the coffee that is certified organic. So you want it to be certified organic and you also want it to be tested to be pesticide residue free. And that's when it becomes a little bit more difficult. Then the other thing that happens in coffee that we don't really have any 
labeling for and you should ask your coffee producer to give you uh, certifications that the coffee has been tested to be free of mold, yeast, ocrotoxin A. So as you mentioned, sort of poor quality coffees, they cut a lot of corners and there are some financial motives in adding water to coffee and humidity and in the processing. There's places where mold arrives on the coffee and that, uh, that if you avoid those shortcuts, that doesn't have to happen. But the only way as a consumer, you can guarantee that is just to ask for a certification that has been tested, your coffee has been tested free of mold. And there's, you know, there's a number of companies doing that. And I think the trend is moving in a positive direction that people are starting to insist on that, which is great news. You're in the market. So you see that there's a lot of companies. I still feel like there's few companies that are saying that, yeah. right? Because it's very, very voluntary. And it's not yeah. going to be a very easy certification, right? I mean, it's technically that easy because talk about, well, and feel free to continue more about labeling at the same time, but let's talk about, I think this is an issue for both chocolate or cocoa beans, right? And coffee beans. Why is mold such a problem when growing and drying? Well, I'll give you a couple of examples of how mold develops and based on different farming practices. So one of the shortcuts we've talked about is industrial farming. So if you go to an industrial coffee farm, you're going to see uh, trees, coffee trees in straight rows with enough of a gap between them. A tractor can go between those rows and pull off all of the coffee cherries at the same time. Now, the reason they would do that is because coffee cherries ripen at different times and it's very cumbersome and expensive for them to handpick and hand select those cherries. So what they've decided to do in industrial farming is let's just pull off everything at the same time. So we've got overripe cherries, which are moldy. We've got underripe cherries, which are green. And we've got ripe cherries, which are in most cases red. And so what happens is these traders will pull off all the cherries and they'll pull off, you know, the twigs and in some cases stones. And then they'll have to sort afterwards to remove the coffee cherries that are moldy. The problem is that It's like taking a a moldy strawberry and putting it in in a vat of fresh strawberries and coming back the next day, you'll find all the strawberries are moldy. So what you've got, the problem you're dealing with is once you start introducing mold or once mold is introduced into your coffee, it becomes very difficult to avoid. So what we insist on is all of our coffee needs to be grown in natural habitat. And there's some monikers, there's some labeling that you could look for that could sort of indicate that the coffee is grown in the right way. The indications are that it's bird-friendly. Smithsonian bird-friendly is a good label to show it's grown in its natural habitat. Hand-picked and hand-selected is another good label. The fact that it's shade-grown is a great label to look for. You know, we're hoping to move in standards of regenerative farming where it really is just the very best of uh, farming conditions. But that's one thing to look for. And then, you know, I'll give you another example of how mold can be introduced. I was uh, visiting a farm in Brazil and it was an industrial farm and I was trying to understand the contrast between industrial farming and regenerative farming and there's this big pile of coffee that is dry and is ready to be sacked and uh, and processed for weight and there was a farmer who was spraying the, the pile of coffee with water and I asked him why he would do that, what was the purpose of cleaning the coffee at this stage and, and he told me that basically the purpose was to add water to the coffee which was already dry and by adding water to the coffee and it soaks up um, you know, an additional 8 or 10% water, then the yields are higher for the farmer because, you know, it's heavier. Mm-hmm. So then, of course, you know, the challenge there is that you're shipping the coffee and it's going to take a couple of months to arrive at this destination right. and you're shipping a moist product, which right. is, you know, there are more, but, you know, that's just two examples. Yeah, that's a great point. And this brings up a solid point in general is that 
One, we don't necessarily talk about mold intake in our diets. And not that people should be wildly alarmed, but mold is becoming a bigger problem. And so if we can do little things, like if you're doing something every day, like if you're drinking coffee every day, then it's a really recurrent thing, right? And so you're just reintroducing that every day. Some other foods, you're not eating those every day, right? In the same way, or something I think is really important that you mentioned is that coffee is a very heavily treated crop, but we don't necessarily poo-poo on coffee kind of like we do the US grain market. (laughs) People like talk about it in kind of a not always a friendly way. And with the coffee, we don't necessarily talk about it. So I'm glad we're having this conversation. Now, you mentioned something that I feel like I see this label a lot, or I like this label, which is shade grown. For some reason, that coffee works well as <laughs> for me as well. Why is shade yeah. grown? Is it just because I was just guessing that when we've got these a couple labels, like this particular coffee is just grown with more integrity. And that might be the bottom line. But tell me what's actually happening other like, what does this look like? You mentioned that the coffee groves when they're farmed are set yeah. up part, et cetera. But when something is shade grown, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. So it's actually an interesting story for us. So we decided to make every decision based on health. And our focus was, you know, without compromise, we would look at every decision and decide what's the best in terms of creating a healthy and a healthy product. So the first thing that we wanted to do is have a very high antioxidant uh, rich coffee and antioxidants vary from crop to crop and harvest to harvest. So the only way for us to be able to really tell which coffee was highest in antioxidants was to lab test 40 or 50 organic coffees from around the world and pick the ones that were highest. Now, what happened from doing that is we started to see a correlation. We started to see something. So even though we were, we didn't have any requirement apart from the fact that it was organic and specially grade coffee, and we were testing for antioxidants, we started to see a trend. And the trend was the more the natural the conditions that the coffee was grown in, the higher it was in antioxidants and more nutrient rich for the things that we were looking for in the coffee. So that's when we started to get deeper into, well, why does this matter? So the things we were looking for, we look for now is um, Smithsonian bird friendly, shade grown, all of these things. And this is a long way of telling you that the reason why this matters is through industrial farming, the soil conditions get really depleted. So there's an over reliance on the use of pesticides, which are a shortcut, and the more natural the farming conditions for the coffee. So if it's grown in shade grown, which means that there's other trees around, you know, they're also growing banana and papaya and, and mango, the soil coverage, which you mean leaves and compost, so that the soil is richer and it's more protected. What we find is the direct result of that, and you know, bird friendly just means that while we care about the environment, our driver wasn't the environment, our driver was health benefits. We noticed that the farms that produced in a bird-friendly environment meant that the coffee was grown in such a way that it wasn't driving off the birds. So that was a great indicator that if we look for bird-friendly, then we could say, okay, this is likely to be coffee grown in this natural environment. And it helped us narrow down a crowded field. And as a consumer, this is great. But as the farmer, that's giving up a lot if you're saying, hey, we're willingly allowing birds to eat our coffee. Like, I mean, it's kind of a actually a big deal for that farmer to say, hey, this is kind of okay. We're going to give a little bit back to nature because it's and it's cutting into our profits, right? Like 
there's a difference here. Yeah. And as the consumer, we only see like what we think benefits us. But we have to know that in some ways, right, there's a reason we have this higher cost because the yield is going to be lower, right? Like we're going to lose some of this to birds. <laughs> we're going to lose some of it yeah. to other places. I mean, I just want to point out like all the people in the pie here. It's kind of a big deal when the farmer says, okay, we're going to do it this way instead of a, a different way, I think. Yeah. And it's really long term thinking because, you know, what we hope to encourage is that people will start to recognize that drinking coffee based on health is important. You know, it's an incredibly uh, healthy product, uh, number one source of antioxidants in the American diet. But the problem is that it's not enough to say that coffee is good for you. You have to say, well, how and what part of coffee and, and why is it good for you? And when you start digging in, in a little deeper, you start to recognize that the farmers that are really doing a good job in terms of of artisanal farming, and they're producing the coffee at a very high level. And as you mentioned, it can be a little bit more expensive. Those farmers need to be rewarded, and they will be rewarded as people start to recognize that the coffee is a health food and it's something that they should pay attention to, I think. I do want to get into some specifics about coffee health. So we don't say coffee is healthy. We want to be really specific about pros and cons. But you said something a little bit earlier, and I wanted to reiterate and make sure I got it right. You said that the higher elevation that the coffee is grown, the more antioxidants. Was that correct? I don't know if I say that, but it is correct. There's no one thing. Like you can't just pick the highest elevation and go, that's going to have the most antioxidants. But it is one indicator, just like regenerative farming is an indicator, oh, volcanic sure. Yeah, volcanic soil is an indicator as well. I mean, that what we find is that uh, coffee grown on a hillside in, in natural conditions with volcanic soil tend to be higher than other ones. But and the range it can be huge. I mean, some coffees that we've tested were 5% of the antioxidants of our coffee. So it is a big, big range. Sure. But you're right. Well, matters. well, let's talk about where coffee is grown in the world because... What's most common to see on package? It's Arabica and a couple other ones. So can you shed some light on that? Because I think most people don't necessarily know what we're looking for exactly. Most people are drinking Arabica coffee. The other second most common coffee is Robusta. Robusta is actually, it's considered sort of a, a filler coffee and it's difficult to find in organic form. It's often used in instant coffees and used as a coffee where they'll mix it with Arabica and Robusta to a level where it won't change the taste too much, but it's a lot cheaper coffee. So it's used as a filler coffee. Ironically enough, actually, Robusta is higher in antioxidants than Arabica is, but it's just, it's hard to find really good quality Robusta that's organic. And it's grown in, a, I mean, they get this name because they're growing at a different place in relationship to the equator. Is that correct? I think it's just the where it's planted. I mean, India tends to grow a lot of Robusta and uh, and uh, South and Central America is, is much more Arabica. Asia has more Robusta than Asia in general has more Robusta coffee because they have the land mass and they really just want uh, they see it as a commodity crop. You yeah. are using Arabica. Is yeah. that correct? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Which is standard. I mean, most of the coffees that you buy are going to be Arabica coffees. If you're looking at any sort of quality coffee, it's likely you're drinking an Arabica coffee. That's sort of like one of the a basic requirements. All right. I want to get into those health benefits. But then I was just thinking about quote unquote food waste. And I've heard this not talked about too often, but we're talking about a coffee berry. And obviously the berry gets stripped off and we're using basically the inside. So are there uses in the industry for the rest of the coffee plant? What do you know about that? 
Absolutely. It's such an interesting subject. I mean, cascara is the fruit of the coffee cherry that is dried. It's very high in antioxidants. The people are working on different usages for it. One is uh, coffee flour. Cascara can be used for tea. I think it's a really interesting subject, something that we're playing around with on the periphery, but we're trying not to lose focus because, you know, our intent is with 164 million Americans who get up this morning and drink a cup of coffee, we don't necessarily need to change a behavior to get them to drink, you know, cascara tea, even though it could be a good benefit for them. It's still early days in terms of finding really good quality sourcing, because one of the problems is with the coffee cherry, you want to really be very careful on about mold. So it's obviously got to be organic because as you mentioned, it's like a grape. So when it's sprayed by pesticides, you know, it's very, very porous and it's going to absorb a lot of this. So it's got to be organic and it also needs to be processed on site because the last thing you want is molding fruit mm-hmm. um, in your finished product. So we're playing around with that, but it is a really interesting subject. Yeah. You know, I know, I think one of Purity's kind of goal, or I mean, your target market, I believe, is consumers, and you try to work with health professionals to help them convey the message of the importance of quality coffee to their clients. But is Purity used in coffee shops, or do you see that? Is that something you hope to see more often, or maybe it's already being done frequently? I don't live in a place where I would see this, <laughs> but yeah. uh, tell me about that. Yeah, I'll tell you our thought process. Our, our thought process is vision is better health through coffee. And the very best way for us to do that, we feel, is to have a story that's delivered through healthcare professionals who can talk about the health benefits of coffee and explain the differences. So we feel like we would be lost if we tried to go retail and you saw us among another you know, 50 coffees in your public store or wherever. So our focus is we really want to deliver this message through wellness professionals first and support them as our conduit. That's one of the reasons we're not on Amazon. We're not in retail. We're direct to consumers. And another reason for that is that most people are drinking stale coffee. So if your coffee is roasted more than 15 days ago, and some people, in some cases, especially with large chains, you're buying coffee that was roasted months ago, you're losing a lot of the antioxidants. And we wanted a way that we could deliver the coffee to people just after it was roasted. So, you know, we basically roast daily and we send out the roast the day that you order it and so you're receiving the coffee two to three days after roasting and it becomes difficult to provide that high level of quality when you go retail yeah so where is the coffee grown where is it roasted and how do you make the best cup of coffee wow big questions Where's it grown? So the choice of our coffee is driven by what the lab results tell us is in that coffee. So I can tell you right now, our coffee is a blend of Colombian and Honduran coffee. And that's because the 50 or so that we tested, these were the very highest in polyphenols and antioxidants, while still having the high standards we have, which is that it's organic and it's specially grade. It's mold-free. It's tested to be free of pesticide residue, all these other things. So that may change, though. I mean, we're constantly trying to beat our last coffee in terms of quality of antioxidants and the quality of the coffee. And so we'll continue to look and our coffee will evolve over time as we learn more. We've just come out with a dark roast, for example, and we only had one standard coffee. But we came out with a dark roast because we recognized there were certain compounds in a darker roast that we could dial up that we couldn't get in a lighter roast. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that reason, we said, OK, let's, you know, we're going to provide this coffee for these sort of sensitivities or this sort of area of focus. We made every decision based on health. 
one thing that really does have a big impact is the technology you use to roast the coffee. So we use a smokeless roasting system, which is, we've done some work on development of this, which is reducing the amount of oxygen in the roast. What it does is that traps in the antioxidants and gives you a higher level of antioxidants that are retained in the coffee. At the same time, it doesn't build up a thing called acrylamide, which you get in the early stage of roasting. So roasting makes a big difference. In fact, you know, 50% of the battle here, first 50% is in production, finding a coffee that is just incredibly high quality and hits all the standards that we just talked about. But the second thing is if you don't roast it in the right way, then you're going to lose a lot of these benefits. So that final mile is incredibly important to play around with what we call the roast curve which is you know temperature versus time to maintain the antioxidants in the quality in the coffee and not have any of the negative compounds that that can be created in roasting like acrylamide at the early stage or polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons at the later stage which you get from any sort of charred or burnt food yeah acrylamide is a carcinogen as well so we want not so much of that right <laughs> That's right. And there's been a lot of fuss about, you know, Proposition 65 and acrylamide in coffee. And um, the truth of the matter is that there's minute levels of acrylamide in coffee. You can manage to roast those if you pay attention to the way you roast the coffee, which is what we do. And we lab test along the roast curve. You can really minimize the amount of acrylamide in coffee. But even having said that, you know, you would have to drink 200 cups of pure coffee to get the same acrylamide as in one large large french fries from a fast food. I like numbers like that. Thank you. <laughs> so let's get back to making that. I think talking about how to make a perfect cup of coffee is a great way to end. But let's talk about the benefits of coffee. So we're talking about antioxidants and the people listening are smart people. But antioxidants, we usually think we're getting those often from our colorful fruits and vegetables and antioxidants combat against free radicals, which are basically what cause wrinkles and aging and disease. So I know you have a favorite study about coffee, but when we're thinking about high levels of antioxidants, if you can bump up any antioxidant value during the day, you're essentially like you're just kind of preventing the things that result in aging. <laughs> Anything you want to add to that, but go ahead and tell us about kind of your, I know you started this company by getting into the research and realizing that this was a gap in the market, like people were not really doing coffee for health. So tell us what were some of the things that you found in your own research? Yeah. And so we've been very lucky since the beginning to have some guidance for some real experts in this industry. And one of them is Dr. Adriana Farrar from the University of Brazil, you know, largest coffee producing country in the world. And Adriana's specialty is coffee and health. And so she started working with us. So the reason I say that we were very lucky is that, you know, 30 years of doing her own research. She's one of the most published coffee scientists on health in the world. She consults for the World Health Organization. She was able to direct us in the early stages to what mattered in coffee when it came to health. And and at the same time, she validated for me that the, the health benefits of coffee. So I know you have a lot of doctors who are listening. The first thing I would say is that, that coffee is one of the most well-studied foods on the planet. And there's just so much information around the health benefits of coffee. And while I can 
point to to studies and studies that are on, on our website as well that you can download. I really encourage people just to take a look at them, particularly in terms of coffee and the prevention of type 2 diabetes, coffee in terms of liver health, and also overall longevity. There was a very large study by the British Medical Journal that uh, was an umbrella study of over 200 individual coffee studies and put them together and they they showed that coffee drinkers and these are all peer-reviewed studies these are large peer-reviewed studies talked about how coffee drinkers three to five cups of coffee a day had anywhere from a 12 to 16 percent lower chance of all form of mortality in the 10-year period that the study was done which is pretty staggering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you get Dr. Adriana and your team? Like, how do you go? You um, just go find the most renowned researcher in coffee and call her? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> that was exactly it. It was a, um, the professors at the Institute of Coffee Studies recommended me to Adriana. And what was easy about the conversation is Adriana was a little bit frustrated. And all the time that she'd been working on the health benefits of coffee, she should still see that the general public would be talking about how they they could cut down on coffee for New Year's and minimize their coffee intake. And there was really a mixed bag. And she said, look, this is faulty science. The, the health benefits of coffee are well proven. We know the things that make a difference in coffee to improve the health benefits of coffee. We know the focus on antioxidants is important. We know the absence of the bad stuff. We know how to create this in both the roast and also on the, on the farm. And she was frustrated that what she'd done for all of these years in terms of research and studies on the health benefits of coffee just hadn't trickled down to the general public. So I think really what excited her the most is the fact that we are the conduit to get the information that she knows about the health benefits of coffee to the general public because we're you know where the rubber meets the road. We have the ability to affect things locally on the farm and to affect things in the roaster and to dial up the compounds that, that she feels are beneficial. And so you know, she was a great guide and our interests are aligned in this. Yeah, I imagine any researcher I talk to, they would love to get their message out, right? Because that is hard work and you want more people to notice it. So yeah. I love great coffee, but I struggle to make it very well at home. I've got everything, the French press and the pour over and the mochi pot and the espresso machine. So talk to us about basics on making a great cup of coffee. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of information for people who talk to you about taste, and taste makes a make, obviously makes a big difference. But when it comes to extracting the coffee through different methods, it's all about grind size, the temperature of the water, and the pressure that's applied to the coffee. So if you're doing an espresso coffee or if you're doing a, a French press, then there's actual pressure applied to the coffee, and you're extracting more of the uh, the chlorogenic acids, the antioxidants in the coffee. And then there's the other method obviously pour over. That's very good. But if every single method will extract different compounds in the coffee. So there isn't one really easy answer. I can tell you that I use a, a pour over in the morning and uh, that's sort of my preferred method. And I like a, occasional espresso in the afternoon. And I think in terms of extracting the antioxidants in the coffee, you can't go wrong with espresso. It's a very good way of doing it. And pour over is great as well. And cold brew is another great method to extract coffee because the coffee is sitting in the water for 24 hours and in the fridge and you're extracting most of the beneficial compounds that way. Very fun. Andrew, yeah. 
we can talk about where people can find you, but I know Purity has, they pour a lot of efforts into education and into, so if someone's a health professional listening to this, Purity has kind of like a program for coffee discounts, et cetera, to get this in the hands of their consumers. I also, on my website, have a little spot in the shop section, but where can people find Purity online? PurityCoffee.com. Just go online and dig around. Our focus is we really want to help educate. So we want to make sure that our site, you can have access to the studies that are on. They talk about the health benefits of coffee and you can learn yourself about uh, different benefits and also the compounds that matter, the way we roast our coffee, the way our coffee compares to other companies. But so the goal is to give as much education as possible. So it's uh, PurityCoffee.com and you know feel free to just go in and look around. Lots of information there. Yeah, they have got good stuff. Thank you so much for coming on today, Andrew. And I can tell you that I'm drinking some very smooth coffee right now. So That's great. (laughs) Good stuff. Excellent. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stressed Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stressed Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 